The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And as always, there's a lot going on in technology. This week, we read about the fact that they imaged the black hole at the center of the Milky Way using the Event Horizon Telescope, which is an aperture, which is the actually the diameter of the Earth. It's very, very interesting technology. We'll talk about that in a bit. And uh, the Russians still continue to make mistakes in Ukraine. They're using their cell phones. And the Ukrainian army can track the Russians on the battlefield by looking at their cell phone signals. We'll explain why Russia's doing that and, uh, and the advantage that it's giving the Ukrainians. This week... We're going to feature a man who was uh, one of the founding uh, members of the PayPal Mafia, and they became uh, a key element in developing the culture in Silicon Valley. We're going to talk about Max Levchin. I got, I sort of got interested in Max because he is from Ukraine, and I was looking for Ukraine IT innovators and came across him. And as a result of that, uncovered the whole ecosystem relating to the PayPal mafia out there in Silicon Valley. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Tom Schum. Last week, a listener emailed the question, what's the difference between 100 acres in Metaslovakia and an equivalent in Bitcoin? Now, Metaslovakia might be a virtual country in the metaverse. Perhaps you misunderstood, thinking that Metaslovakia was a real place. Maybe I misunderstood. And Metaslovakia is a fictional name for some place in the real world. But virtual property of all kinds in the metaverse does cost real money, and real people spend money on it. So... Maybe there's actually less security in that, uh, you know, in a virtual farm or virtual land because it might be more easily stolen. Now, there's also real money involved with Bitcoin. So I'm not, in either, I'm not involved with either the metaverse or Bitcoin, but I just want to keep it this way, Tom Shim. Well, Tom, actually, I went back and reread Al's. Uh, it was a letter from Al Metzler. And he said, I just can't get the idea of owning imaginary property. And he did ask the question between one Bitcoin and 12,000 acres in Metoslovakia. And he was talking about a fictional land. Uh, so uh, I think I did not quite answer Al's question. So I think I might, uh, might be able to add some additional information today. 
The interesting thing is if you have virtual land on the internet, it will more than likely be secured via blockchain. Uh, the reason that you want to have it secured via blockchain is you want to have an immutable, which means unchangeable, public ledger, which means people can't steal it uh, through some sort of fraudulent activity. Now, there are, I mean, I've, I've, I've owned some uh, imaginary land in the metaspace. I, you know, many years ago, I joined Second Life. I was just curious about that that uh, that activity, uh, that Second Life activity. And, uh, you know, and you can actually buy land, you can build houses, you own things. There's real money involved. Now, Second Life, they just use normal security to maintain it. They don't use blockchain yet. But if you really had major purchases, you'd want to use blockchain. Now, more recently than Second Life, there's a something called Roblox, which is built in the laws of physics. So if you if you build a Roblox uh, space, things can drop. You can hear sounds. They, they, the, the, the world be, behaves just according to the the normal laws of physics that we uh, that we follow, and they've and they've built those laws of physics in, into the Roblox primitives. So you can you can actually own property in Roblox. You can build things, and what people do in both Second Life as well as Roblox, you build um, attractions, and then people pay to participate in those attractions. So you can you can actually earn money. So people try to set up stores, set up parks, set up attractions. And then they try to get people to visit there and spend their hard-earned money, normally through, and Roblox it would be a, a, a subscription, to be able to, you know, go around your space. So, Doc, all that sounds pretty much fun because it's a lot like, you know, it's basically a video game, but with real money. But when you do Metaslovakia, are you getting any of these visuals and all the fun parts, or you're just getting this document that states that you own something? It, you you would get a document that you would see if somebody well let's say in Roblox if if you build this park and you spend a huge amount of time building it you don't want somebody to steal the whole thing you you want you want it to assign to your account so so the question is what he was he was he he was sort of getting at this whole blockchain thing if somebody really wanted to secure a digital asset whether it's a on land or anything. You'd want to do it with a blockchain because that's a public ledger that is immutable. If somebody changes your ownership, it it changes the security uh, codes on the whole blockchain itself and invalidates the blockchain. So you you can't change it once it's baked into the blockchain. And you've got independent verifiers who 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 validate the blockchain anytime there's a transaction. So you do have some assurances that people aren't going to steal your asset because it's in the blockchain. Now, now the funny thing is, uh, now, now how do they pay people to validate that blockchain? They pay them with cryptocurrency, <laughs> like Bitcoin or like Ether in Ethereum. And uh, how is that cryptocurrency transaction recorded? It's also in the blockchain. So the Bitcoin, as well as the virtual land, I think in the end are going to be secured by the same public ledger blockchain. And um, but 
and I, and I think that's a very good way to 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 operate in a decentralized way. Now, here's the thing: you could use this blockchain to also secure real land. So, uh, suppose you had a, a a country that decided to go completely digital. So instead of having um, deeds recorded down at the county courthouse, where you go in and you write a deed that says, I'm going to transfer this property from person X to person Y, and you write this down in a deed book at the, at the, county, uh, at the county seat, uh, instead of doing that, you could record that transfer in a blockchain, and it would be public. And that is far more secure, actually, than having it in a deed book down at the county registry. I mean, I had, I had a friend in Pakistan. He had a house. It uh, was recorded at, in the deed book down in Karachi. Somebody went down, paid uh, one of the clerks a bribe, and they transferred his deed to this other guy. And this other guy said, well, now I own the house. He had to go to court. It took him four years to get the house back. Had that been recorded in a public blockchain, you, you, you could not have it changed just with one corrupt clerk. So I do think that digital property or real property secured with the blockchain is going to be more secure than anything else. But it was interesting. Um, Tom sent that email while we were still during doing the show because he said he said uh, it, you actually misread the, the letter, and I did. But it is an interesting idea that both the cryptocurrency and the digital land asset could be secured with the with the same blockchain technology. The problem is with cryptocurrency, everybody's focusing on speculation on the value of cryptocurrency rather than on the power of the blockchain. Uh, we got an email from John in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Andrew, what's the best way to fill out a PDF form online? I got so many applications these days and I need to speed up the process, John in Fairfax. Well, I'll tell you, John, this is a problem. Everybody's sending PDFs to you. They want you to fill something out. and and in the old-fashioned way, you'd, you'd get the PDF, you'd print it out, you'd get a pen, you'd fill out the PDF, and then you'd scan it and send it back. And usually, there's not enough room in the PDF form to actually write it because they, they, the, the spaces are too small, and it's really hard to fill out those forms. So wouldn't it be nice if you could fill it out online? And that is a problem that everybody's confronted with. I, I hate it when people send me PDFs and then I've got to fill them out. So I've, I've actually, there are actually programs that you can get that will let, let you fill out a PDF. Probably the granddaddy of them all, and the one that really works the best, is Adobe Acrobat. But you got to get the paid version. Uh, of course, why would that be the best? Because, because Adobe invented the PDF format. It's called Portable Document Format, PDF, Portable Document Format. And the, what they did when they created PDF, they have a format that embeds all the fonts, embeds everything, so when you send the document in a formatted way, the person at the other end looks at the PDF, and it looks to them exactly like it looks to you, because everything required for formatting is embedded right in the document. Now, Adobe Acrobat's 
is, uh, is basically probably the best PDF form creator and filler. It's a premium tool, premium, that means expensive, trusted by lots of users all over the world. Forms can be created by scanning a document or converting other documents from Word or Excel. It allows you to submit forms that are created in fillable form fields. You can save data security in a personable auto-fill collection to save time. It offers signature fields, which are really nice. You can sign forms online using a, a validated signature. Um, now, it's not advisable for those with a limited budget. There's a monthly subscription, and you're going to pay like $9.99 a month. So it's expensive. Or you could pay like $69 a year. On the other hand, if you've got a whole lot of forms to fill out this month, you could just get it for one month, and it'd just be $9.99. So if budget's not the issue, and you want the best software out there, I would get the paid version of Adobe Acrobat. Now, a cheaper version is the PDF Reader Pro. Now, it's got a whole robust set of PDF editing tools with all kinds of professional options. It's got a filler, a signer. It allows you to create or fill out forms easily. It allows you to sign contracts in text or with image signatures. It's the best PDF creator to help you generate customized forms with plenty of elements in color. It works as expected. It allows, it allows you to merge PDFs, split PDFs, compress PDFs, and they have a free trial version. So you could use the free trial version for a while. And, uh, and the nice thing is the, um, the subscription is much more affordable than, than Adobe Acrobat. So if you want a high-end PDF piece of software that, that really works well and it's a little and it's affordable, I would recommend the uh, PDF Reader Pro. Uh, and, and you can try out the free version before you pay anything. Now, if, if you don't want to install software, uh, there's a third option that has called JotForm, J-O-T-F-O-R. It's an online form creator. It's a PDF converter, so those who don't want to install any software. It's got a drop-and-drag creator. You can customize it. It's a reliable tool. They have guest accounts, but you can only do five forms. So with JotForm, you could test it out. You could do five forms uh, before you had to pay anything. But I'm telling you, if if you want a really a functional system, which and budget's not an issue, PDF Reader Pro. Now at Stratford, we've got Adobe Acrobat because I mean, uh, for businesses, that's really the common one for businesses because $69 a year is not that bad, and we can get a site license, so it's not too much. But for just a home use. If I wanted to get something, I'd probably get the PDF Reader Pro. Uh, we got an email from uh, Peter in Bethesda. Oh, just a minute here. Oh, I skipped something here. What did I? What did I skip here? You missed oh. Alice and Alexander. Oh yeah, I got it. I got an email from. Yeah, I skipped to the next page. We got an email from Alice in Alexandria. Dear Tech Talk, I use Facebook to communicate with my family. I've heard that they collect all kinds of information about me, both from my PC Facebook page as well as from my mobile device. How can I tell what they've collected, Alice and Alexandria? Well, Alice, Facebook does collect a lot of information, lots of information. And moreover, they share that information with third parties and don't even tell you. That's how they make money. Now, you can actually view what they've collected about you. Now, 
let's say it, you can log on to your Facebook account using your browser on your laptop or your desktop computer. And then there's a little down arrow on the far upper right side of the menu bar. That's where your, where your uh, account name is, your user account name is. You click on that. There'll be a drop-down menu. Then you can click on settings and privacy. Then you click on settings. Then you, on the left-hand side, click on privacy. And you can see all of, the, um, uh, all of the settings that you have to control your privacy. Then you can click on right below the privacy on the left-hand column is something called your Facebook information. You can click on that. And you can look at all the information they've collected, the various type of information they've collected about you. And you, uh, you have a choice to limit um, you know, what they collect in the future, but not too much choice because Facebook just wants to collect your data. Um, so you can see what information they have. I can tell you, they collect so much information from the mobile app. They track where you are. They track, if you have the Facebook app on your mobile phone, they know everything about you. I deleted the Facebook app from my, uh, from my um, mobile phone. And what I do, if I want to look at Facebook while I'm on my mobile phone, I just go, I just use the web browser, go to Facebook log into the Facebook account and look at it. And I don't use the mobile app because they track everything. By I the just, way, that's going to be true of just pretty much every any app you use, isn't it? I mean, if you have a choice, if you're really concerned about privacy and data, you're always better off using the uh, the browser even when you're on your phone. Yeah, I, you are always better because they, they track it all. Now, the one good thing is that Apple has been trying to address that. So now what they do, Apple, whenever you uh what they do with the latest installations they'll notify you when somebody's tracking you and they'll ask you do you want them to track you or not and so apple is making it more uh user friendly to opt out of this tracking but it is everywhere and you've got really literally no privacy as to where you're located at all as as many in the military have discovered we got an email from um, Arnie. Uh, Dear Dr. Schertz and Andrew, I haven't been able to get Tech Talk written summary since the 5th of March. Now, I listen to Tech Talk on Federal News Radio on my iPad, but to get written summaries, I go to the bottom of the Tech Talk page at the stratford.edu site. No summaries are available after March 5th. I, I love getting the summaries. Um, by the way, I have sites you've mentioned on Tech Talk in 2007, found in old notes. I don't want to miss any of the IT news. So I'm looking for a solution. Thanks, Arnie. Well, Arnie, we post, we ported the Tech Talk website to another, uh, to another data center. We, we run them all on virtual servers. I got my whole team working on a huge IT project. So they have not posted my, my, my show outline since March 5th. I've sent them all to them. I think we're going to get them up there in the next two, three weeks. But I'm really glad that you can get the podcast uh, from the from the Federal News Network site. And once we uh, once we're up and running, you'll be able to get the po the podcast from the uh, Stratford site too. But Arnie, thanks for listening and thanks for being a loyal listener. And by the way, if you Google Stratford uh, University Tech Talk Radio or any combination of those. You will find that actually the podcast is available on Podcast One and Federal News Network and, and a couple other different ways too. So there are multiple ways to access the uh, 
the the podcast, this show right here, like right now live in uh, Washington at 920 in the morning, but also available within a couple hours pretty much worldwide on various platforms. That is really good to know. Listen, we we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We most certainly will. And we are going to hear about the founder, a co-founder, there are many, of PayPal and lots of other things he did, and including sort of a big shift that happened in Silicon Valley's thinking about technology. I'll talk all about that. Profiles in IT next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time with an education that fits your schedule? Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Maximilian Rafaelovich... Levchin. Wow, what a job you did on that. And I bet his mother, his mother never called him that, even when she was very, very angry with him. That's just too many syllables, right? Well, now it's too many syllables. Now he just goes by Max, Max Levchin. That's that's much easier to say. He's a Ukrainian-American software engineer and businessman, best known as co-founder of PayPal and a founding member of the PayPal Mafia. Now, Max was born July 11th, 1975 in Kiev, Ukraine, to Ukrainian Jewish family. At that time, Ukraine was still part of uh, the USSR. Now, Max was born in a family of physicists. Everybody was a physicist except his father. Now, as a child, he had respiratory problems, and doctors actually doubted whether he would live long. But his grandmother took charge. She gave him some advice. She says, Max, you got to use your lungs to solve that problem. So he took up the clarinet to expand his lung capacity. And that was really good advice. That was very helpful. So now Max actually plays the clarinet. Now, Max's mom was a, was a physicist. And she, she, at her job, she was tasked to learn how to program. 
And while she was learning how to program, Max was introduced to technology and programming. Now, until he saw his mom programming and, you know, worked with her on some of those projects, he was interested in being a teacher. After he saw that programming, all he wanted to do was computer science. He wanted to work with computers. In 1991, when Max was 16 years old, he and his family fled to America to escape anti-Semitism in Ukraine. They settled in Chicago. They arrived in the U.S. with just $700 worth of cash, insufficient to buy Lefschen a computer that he was begging to get because he wanted to learn how to program. But his folks started working, the American dream building up. He attended Mather High School in Chicago, graduated in 1993, then he enrolled at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. He earned a bachelor's degree in computer science in 1997, was going to go on to get a PhD, but he uh, uh, dropped out of the PhD program. And Lefshin, with some of his fellow University of Illinois students, founded an internet company, Sponsor Net New Media. It was an advertising company for the, for the, on the internet. Then they founded a second company, driven by the internet craze, Net Meridian, Meridian Software. Now, they were an early developer of applications on the internet. So I already got his taste of developing software that could be deployed over the internet to try to make money. In 1998, Lefchin uh, met Peter Thiel uh, out, in, uh, out in California, out in the um, San Francisco area, and they founded Field Link, which was a security company that allowed users to store encrypted data on their Palm Pilot. Palm In Pilot, other, that takes you back, huh? They, <laughs> I yeah, always forgot about a long that. Time well, ago. there was Blackberries, but there were Palm Pilots. I forgot all Palm about this. Yeah. yeah. And, and other PDA devices, personal digital assistant devices. Yes. Don't even use that term, really, do we? We don't use PDA either. Yeah. yeah. They wanted to make a digital wallet. Now, here's the thing Lefchin was like a technology guy. Peter Thiel was like an economist. He got a <clears throat> doctorate in economy. He's also a libertarian. He wanted to get banking out of the funds transfer business. He wanted to create a digital wallet that did not, where he could store money and it wouldn't depend on a bank as part of his libertarian bent. So Lefchin, the tech techie, Peter Thiel, the visionary guy, they started this company, FieldLink to make digital wallets. And that, by but, the way, is Levchin, the 24-year-old techie. So he's yeah, this is early in life he's, already. He's doing stuff like this. He's young. He yeah. is young. They they then did, they changed the name of the company to Confinity because they, they decided with a digital wallet, I mean, how do you get money into it and out of it? You got to transfer the funds. So they decided to expand the mission of the company to include fund transfers where you could send money from your digital wallet to another digital wallet. They changed the name of the company, Confinity, and they developed an application that was run within the Confinity company called PayPal, so you could send payments to people. And they focused on transfers of funds by PDA from one PDA to another. Uh, they recruited others 
for the venture from college. And they, they want to have a particular type of person. Lefshin went back to the University of Illinois. Theo went back to Stanford. They were looking for nerds <laughs> uh, who had high math proficiency and were highly competitive. They wanted a personality type that you would live to work and you'd want to succeed. They had a rule, no jocks. Nobody was shooting hoops out at night. No frat boys. They also, at that time, uh, they also didn't want a bunch of nerdy-headed PhDs. What they wanted were PhD dropouts. People that got into the PhD program, they're smart enough to get in the program, but then the program moved too slowly for them, so they just dropped out so they could do something at a little higher speed. Is that why Levchin himself dropped out? I mean, was he also just dissatisfied at the cons- the constriction? Like he he's not moving fast enough or not moving yeah, freely enough? Exactly. So what, uh-huh. exactly. He just he wanted to move quicker. He did. I think he got his bachelor's just to make his mom happy. But uh, <laughs> but then he dropped out of the PhD program because he he wanted to move. Fa- he want. I mean, he and his friends started two companies right um, within that year. He wanted to get get going. Uh, so they, they ended up uh, hiring about 20 guys for PayPal. Oh, by the way, they, they ended up, oh, then they merged. They, they were they were Confinity dot, uh, dot com, uh, but the, and their the product that they had was called PayPal. Then they merged with X.com, which w- which was one of their competitors. There's X.com was also working on digital payments. Now, X.com was founded by Elon Musk. Never heard of him. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they they decided to uh, buy out X.com and buy out their major co- competitor and merge forces. So they bought <clears throat> Elon Musk's operation, X.com. And I, I think it, I think it, there wasn't much cash. It was more equity. Elon Musk ended up having about 14 percent of uh, of the PayPal company after the after the purchase. He was actually the largest stake, uh, shareholder in PayPal at the time. So in 2001, after they bought xcot.com, they decided Confinity was not a good name. They said, why don't we just name the company PayPal? So that made sense. So they made they made the company PayPal. Levchin was the uh, the CTO, chief technology officer. Now, what uh, <clears throat> Uh, PayPal went public in February of 2002, and uh, in July of 2002, it was acquired by eBay because eBay wanted to use PayPal so people could pay for their um, for their products directly without inter- in- intervention with the bank. So they they wanted to integrate PayPal right into the eBay ecosystem. I and, mean, it and was, it changed both PayPal and eBay. I mean, it really got mainstreamed. I mean, all of a sudden, everybody was buying and selling, uh, you know, on eBay and paying for it by PayPal. Yeah, it it, it was a it was a great combination. Now, uh, Levchin made out of that deal. He Levchin had two point three percent stake in PayPal. He got about one hundred and seventy four million dollars out out of it. By the way, Elon Musk got $176 million out of that deal. And that's and he used that stake to uh, you know to, to start all of his companies. He he took $100 million of that to, to start SpaceX, for instance. Now, Lefchin, he was chief technology there at PayPal. He and one of the big problems was fraud. 
That, that, that was the big issue was fraud on, uh, on these digital transfer um, platforms. And so he invented the first commercial captcha. This is where you have to prove you're a human. You know, you know, you got to say, uh, you know, is it is there a bus in this picture, or you've got to write down, a, you've got to read something that's very hard to read and say what you think it is. So he created the first commercial captcha, and he was the creator of the Gosbeck Levchin test. Yeah, that's the one with a squiggly word and lots of extraneous lines and curves. So it's assumed that a computer couldn't read it, but a human can. And then, yeah. then you would have to write the word in, and if it was correct, then you could move on. So that, we don't see that really anymore. I, don't, I haven't seen one of those in a while, I don't no. think. But yeah, that was the first way that I you, you encountered CAPTCHAs. I know. And then sometimes you just can't read it. I mean, No, no, it's uh, true. I remember that. <laughs> it's like you know, too, too you, much. You might, you might have to make three attempts before yeah, you Yeah, you did. I remember doing that, yeah. So this group of people that were the original PayPal group, the, the, they, uh, you know, founders and former employees of PayPal who were in that initial group, they've been known as the PayPal Mafia. There are about 20 of them. And the reason they're called the PayPal Mafia, because after, you know, Pay, PayPal was purchased by eBay, most of them, they just left within a year. Yeah, they, a uh, Mafia music they, for you there. Oh, yeah, the music is there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they... They, uh, they, they, they started funding other companies, founding other companies, and they changed the whole ecosystem out there at, uh, at, um, at you know, in Silicon Valley. Now, Peter Thiel is, uh, is known as the Don of the PayPal Mafia, and his trusted advisor, Consigliere, is Max Levin. So they, those two guys really uh, were the ones that got the whole thing going and they started it. But I'm amazed now, that they actually had these titles in this hierarchy. I mean, they really took this mafia thing pretty seriously. Yeah, they did. <laughs> okay. So Peter Thiel had like, I have some software you can't refuse. That's right. That's right. And he, he uh, and so they, they actually did, did, uh, did quite a bit. That, that group transformed Silicon Valley. Now, in 2004, Lefshin founded Slide, a personal media sharing service for social network sites like MySpace and Facebook. He basically uh, enabled these large platforms to easily share media. Uh, Google wanted to get into the social media business, so Google bought Slide for $182 million in 2010, and Lefshin joined Google as a VP of engineering. But... In 2011, Google shut down Slide and Lefshin left. I guess they just wanted to, you know, to buy a competitor and shut them down. I don't even in remember Slide. What, what exactly was it doing? It, 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 it was used by MySpace and Facebook for social media sharing. It was a social media sharing service. So it was kind of a back-end thing that the user yeah. did not see. The consumer didn't see that. The, the, yeah, yeah, the consumer didn't see it. Uh -huh. And, and it, it, it really – so probably Google embedded the technology in their infrastructure and then just shot, shut down the separate company. In 2011, uh, when he left Google, he started a company called HVF, which stands for Hard, Valuable, and Fun. And they were – and they, the idea is there. They were going to work on fun projects in the area of leveraging data. So in 2012, HVF uh, started a company called Affirm – which was a spin out of HPF. And the goal was to building the next generation credit network. They wanted to basically have credit cards online. And, uh, you know, he was still focused on the, uh, the banking industry. Affirm 
was created by Leftgen Palantir Technologies co-founder Nathan Gettings and Jeff Kaditz of First Data. The company was based in San Francisco. In 2013, HVF launched Glow, a fertility app that helps couples conceive naturally. I guess it measures the timing. After a firm had its IPO uh, in, uh, in 2013, Leftgen's stake in a firm was worth $2.5 billion. That's a, that, that's a pretty good uptake there from just 2011 to 2013, worth $2.5 billion. Now, after that, after he had his money, Leftgen's now worth about $3 billion in total. He then became like an investor. He was an early investor in Yelp, uh, the uh, social online social networking system, uh, pro, uh, website. They, they do reviews of restaurants and things. Uh, he was the company's largest shareholders, owns more than 700 shares as of 2012. He served as chairman seven of Yelp. Seven million. I think that believes seven million. Seven million. Yeah, seven million shares. <laughs> That's Thank a lot, you. a lot more. He was, he, yeah. He I was, think maybe uh, I've got 700 shares. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think seven million shares. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was on the board from 2012 to 2015. He invested in Evernote, which is a really a nice uh, – it's it, it it it's really a nice package for taking notes for you know for smartphones. I really like Evernote. Uh, he served on that board from 2006 to 2016. He joined the Yahoo board of directors. He was on the U.S. Commercial Financial Protection Bureau advisory board. This is a government board. He's the first Silicon Valley executive on that board. He just wanted to sort of work with the regulators. He was always in this financial space, so he felt he had to deal with the regulators. Now, in 2021, he estimated net worth a little over $3 billion. He, he joined, uh, he's, he's one of the contributors to FWD US. It's a Silicon-based lobbying group spearheaded by Mark Zuckerberg and Joe Green. They want to liberalize immigration for high-skilled workers, and they want to facilitate technological breakthroughs that benefit the broad public to sort of make it uh, more altruistic in the kind of things that Silicon Valley does. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Max Levchin, one of the founding members of the PayPal Mafia. Yeah. So more musings about the PayPal Mafia await us. Pour yourself a coffee, pull up a chair as we join Doc for his observations from the faculty lounge next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. 
How do you advance your career while still working full-time? With an education that fits your schedule, Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for observations from the faculty lounge. I wanted to focus today on the evolution of Silicon Valley. It went from hardware-focused to integrated circuit-focused with silicon, and finally to software-focused with the rise of the PayPal mafia. It all started back in 1939 in a single-car garage in Palo Alto, where Bill Hewlett and David Packard started Hewlett Packard. Now, Hewlett and Packard were interested in making very high-quality electronic gear. So they started in the garage, and they eventually built a whole electronic infrastructure, building high-end electronics from oscilloscopes to amplifiers to all kinds of uh, signal processing devices. They created a culture of electronics, and they gathered in their within their ecosystem a lot of high-quality engineers. The next step in Silicon Valley continued with with a group of eight. They call them the traitorous eight. (laughs) Now, these are eight employees who left Shockley Semiconductor Laboratory in 1957. Uh, To remember, uh, Shockley was, was, was at Bell Labs. Bell Labs, of course, invented the transistor. And he started a company, Shockley Semiconductor Laboratory, where he wanted to actually take advantage of the inventions that had come out of Bell Labs. So he pulled together a lot of top-tier, young, eager PhDs to work with him there at Shockley Semiconductor Lab. And he got a bunch of high-energy guys there at his company. Now, the problem was Shockley just wanted to, to do research. He, he was not like a guy who was going to build an empire. And these, just got, these, these fellows just got fed up with it. So eight of his PhDs quit Shockley Semiconductor, and they found Fairchild Semiconductors. Is it fair to say that they wanted to make more money? I mean, basically you're saying, well, I don't want to just research this. I want to produce this and make money. They, wanted to, they, they really weren't focused on the money. No. They wanted to make it – they wanted to – transform the world with technology. And under Schottky's semiconductor, it was just going too slow. I mean, they didn't want to publish papers. They wanted to make integrated circuits <laughs> and change the world. Shockley was still focused like an academic on publishing papers rather than fielding chips. So they left and they found a Fair- Fairchild Semiconductor. And Shockley, when they left, named them the traitorous eight. 
Now, the eight who left Schalke were Julius Blank, Victor Gingrich, Gene Horney, Eugene Kleiner, Jay Last, Gordon Moore, Robert Noyce. They, they started Intel. And Sheldon Roberts. Now, in September of 1957, they formed Fairchild Semiconductor on the border of Palo Alto and Mountain View. So they were right beside HP. Now, now why did they go there? Because HP had created an ecosystem of engineering, and they wanted to basically take advantage of that labor pool that had been attracted there because of HP. But by take advantage, you mean actually poach them, right? I mean, basically poach recruit, yeah, recruit guys exactly. from one company and bring them into theirs. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So the newly founded Fairchild Semiconductor soon grew into a leader in the semiconductor industry. In 1960, it became an incubator in Silicon Valley and was directly or indirectly involved with the creation of dozens of corporations in the, um, in the integrated circuit business, including Intel and AMD. These spinoffs from Fairchild became known as Fair Children. Now, before you get to the PayPal mafia, which changes the, the sort of uh, paradigm a little bit yeah. in a moment, notice the parallels, though. What happened was guys that go into academia first or doing some academic work outside of a university setting, then going saying, well, let's actually manufacture, let's actually do stuff, not just like learn about it. And then when they get enough money and resources together, now they're starting to fund other things. And that really just leads to this mushrooming of this particular sector. That's right. And uh, it, and it's the, it's sort of the same stories played out over and over again. But you see, everything in Silicon... Now, why is it, was it called Silicon Valley? Because the integrated circuits that were made by Fairchild and AMD and, uh, and Intel were all based on silicon wafers because you can make transistors easily in silicon. So all the integrated circuits were, were based on silicon technology, and so it became known as Silicon Valley. There's really no silicon out in San Francisco. <laughs> they... they they import all their silicon for their integrated. Well, actually, they grow their own silicon, sil single crystal silicon. They so then the uh, mafia PayPal comes along. So the the, uh, the 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 PayPal mafia. What happened back in uh, the PayPal? They came to Silicon Valley area. And uh, they started, you know, worked on making PayPal. They wanted to transform the banking business. And, um, and then when PayPal was purchased by eBay, all of a sudden you had these 20 guys who were movers and shakers. They had money. They had motivation. And they just started, they just started uh, you know, making businesses. I mean, the, the PayPal mafia, they started... LinkedIn, they started Palantir Technologies, they started SpaceX, they started Affirm, Slide, Kiva, YouTube, Yelp, Yammer. Uh, most of them, as you'd expect, they attended Stanford University, that's where Peter Thiel was from, or the U University of Illinois, that's where Max Levchin is from. And, uh, and they all had this same work ethic. They were all nerds, and they all wanted to make stuff happen. So... Uh, PayPal, ma the PayPal mafia is credited with inspiring the reemergence of computer-focused internet companies after the dot-com bust of 2001. The PayPal mafia phenomenon is compared to the founding of Intel by the late 
engine by the engineers who had earlier founded Fairchild Semiconductor. The sort of the people in the in Fairchild, those those traitorous eight, eventually ended up being instrumental in starting all these spin-out semiconductor companies. Now the selection process and technical learning at PayPal played a role, but the main factor behind the future success of this group was the confidence that they gained in PayPal. They thought they could, if they could take on the banking industry, they thought they could do anything. Their success is attributed to their youth, the physical, the cultural, the economic infrastructure of Silicon Valley, and the diversity of their skill sets. Peter Thiel and Max Lefshin did an excellent job of selecting the initial team that basically started and built PayPal. PayPal's founders encouraged a tight social bonds between its employees. Many of them continue to trust and support each other even after they left PayPal. They form a team and they continue to support and work with each other since then. In 2011, Mark Andresen famously claimed that software is eating the world. When he said this, we knew the transition of Silicon Valley from a hardware play to a software play was nearly complete. His prediction was that software companies would disrupt traditional industries. And, and we've seen that happen. Indices have been transformed and companies have folded in response, say, to Amazon, to Netflix, to Airbnb and more. Silicon had transitioned from hardware to software and that transition is complete. So you can see I sort of connected the dots here. We start with Hewlett and Packard. Then we have the traitorous eight and all the spin out integrated circuit companies that came from that. And then we have the PayPal mafia and all the companies that spun out from that. And those are all contributing to the ecosystem in Silicon Valley. Yeah, that, that is an amazing, um, you know, transition. And, and, and the idea, too, that, that we're seeing, you know, you, everybody talks about the cloud and stuff like that. And basically, that's what Amazon is. That's what Netflix is. Uh, you know, the, the, all your stuff is out there somewhere and you access it in whatever way you want. And, and, and so it has really changed the world because it's not about manufacturing things so much as creating these networks now that allow you to do stuff from your own and home. You see, and you see what happened. The silicon allowed us to have super low-cost computers. So the cost of computing power was driven way down. The, the power of computing power was, was just driven way up. And that cheap, abundant computing power is what enabled the software to eat the world. Yeah, yeah. So now you can even do uh, business from your very own cell phone. Doing anything on your cell phone, however, may come with a cost, and we're going to find out how that's changing the war in Ukraine next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. The need has never been greater for healthcare professionals. 
Nursing is one of the most in-demand degrees you can have. If you are a registered nurse, you can get a fast track to a BSN and advance your nursing career to the next level. The Stratford University RN to BSN pathway can be completed fully online or in a classroom setting at the Alexandria or Woodbridge campus. Find out more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. How do you advance your career while still working full-time with an education that fits your schedule? Stratford University allows students the flexibility to access the course material 24-7 and finish their assignments at their convenience. Pursuing your master's degree has never been easier. You can do this. Find out about graduate programs in cybersecurity, digital forensics, information systems, accounting, and more at stratford.edu. That's stratford.edu. Stratford University. Changing lives, one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Let's look at the war in Ukraine. Russian troops are using Mm -hmm. cell phones in the war zone. That is a deadly idea. The Ukrainians claim to have killed 12 Russian general officers since late February, in part because the Russians have resorted to using their cell phones when their communication systems break down. (laughs) Uh, When the Russian troops came into Ukraine, their cell phones would emit uh, a roaming signal that would connect to Ukraine's cellular network. And the Ukrainians could triangulate on that signal if we connect to three networks, for three towers, for instance. They would triangulate using three towers, and they could locate exactly where that particular cell phone was located. The Ukrainian special services automatically would receive information with an ID number of the device and a roaming number and, of course, the location. So they were able, by listening eavesdropping on the conversations, which were not encrypted. They could identify who was a general, who wasn't. They could get the ID number of his phone. They knew exactly where it was located, and they could take him out. Now, the Russians were naive and ignorant in using their mobile devices. Sometimes they'd even call home, turning on their phones and connecting to Ukrainian cell phone towers. Now, the Russians have also given away their positions in even more ridiculous way, they would steal Ukrainian iPhones or iPads when they would go in. And then the owner of the iPhone and the iPad could track their location using the Find My Phone app, even when the phones were turned off. So they could track the whole troop movement with the Find My Phone. Uh, and then there was one user whose iPad was stolen. He tracked the path of the Russian troops who stole his iPad on Instagram as they retreated from Kyiv to Belarus and then repositioned in the Russian city of Belgorod near the Ukraine's eastern border. Now, you might ask, why didn't the Russians destroy the Ukraine cellular network? Because that's what they're using to locate the actual um, location of the Russian troops. The reason they didn't destroy the cellular network in Ukraine is that the Russians needed it to do their communications. 
They did not set up an independent, independent communication networks like the, the Americans, the Chinese might have done. They had no way to communicate except using the cell phone service of the Ukrainians. So they set them up. They set themselves up for a rude awakening. Part of it was that they destroyed some of the communications capabilities on the Ukrainian side, and now they were actually forced to use unencrypted technology because they were trying to hurt the Ukrainians, but they actually, you know, left themselves no way of communicating now. And and they're just basically literally on cell phones. I mean, there's not, you know, they killed their own crypto phone uh, capabilities. Yeah. You know, I I looked at this a little bit further. Uh, Russia had allocated $10 million for encryption communication devices. And it turned out there was so much fraud in the oh, Russian not, military. That is not that, a surprise that $5 right there. <laughs> million dollars of that ended up in a Swiss bank account. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is totally not surprising. Yeah so, yeah. They, uh, so they ended up with the invasion not fully prepared for what they were going to what was going to happen. Let's talk about this black hole at the center of the Milky Way. Yes, that's that's been in the news all week. Tell us about it, Doc. Astronomers image Sagittarius A with the Event Horizon Telescope. Now, this Event Horizon Telescope, this is interesting technology. It's millimeter. It's it's they're, they're imaging millimeter waves. So it's very long wavelength. They're imaging millimeter waves, which which, you know, you're not going to get much resolution because it's such a long wavelength. So what they did, they took eight radio telescopes, millimeter ra- wave radio telescopes, from around the world, spaced around the world. There was like one in uh, Chile, one in S- Spanish Sierra Nevada, one Hawaii, one at the South Pole, and other locations. And they basically linked all of these together so they would act as one aperture. And that... All those eight units were spread across the entire face of the Earth. So the aperture, the effective aperture of the Event Horizon Telescope was the diameter of the Earth, was huge, by linking these all together. So that, and thank did, you for explaining that, Doc, because I heard on the, on the radio, like, aperture as big as the Earth, and I thought, well, that's impossible. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> but yeah, actually, it's, it's this, really by the clever, way— clever idea. What th- they did, they—, they they independently took the data from the eight, and then they used post-signal processing to link them together. See, to software. One. Software over hardware right there. That's right. That's software over hardware. And they were able then to, uh, to image, they were, they were the, image the black hole. Now, a black hole, of course, nothing can escape. No light can escape. So they, but as... It, but it sucks in matter, and as matter is being sucked in and ripped apart, it emits millimeter waves. So in the around the ring of the black hole, there's this bright emission, and they can detect that bright emission with a black spot in the middle. So that's what they did, and they found this black hole, which is, uh, you know, much, much larger than our sun. It's something um, like uh, 49,000 size of our sun. It's huge, huge black hole. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And also go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs in health sciences, culinary arts, networking, uh, uh, software engineering, uh, business and IT, and tell them you heard about them on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. 
For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.